Well, tonight is the last night of our study through the book of Genesis. Let me remind you that uh, tomorrow, as we're reading through the book of Genesis, we will get to the end uh, if you're on schedule. If not, you've got three days to kind of catch up. And then on Friday, first day of March, asking you to begin reading with me through the book of Mark. We will actually be able to read through that book twice in the month of, of March. You say, well, if I read it once, why do I need to read it twice? Uh, well, we'll talk about that when we get there. But uh, there's these papers out front, if you haven't got one yet, they're on the tables out front. Uh, kind of summarize a little bit, give you some background on the, on the book of Mark as well as a suggested uh, reading plan. But basically, just read one chapter a day. So less reading for the book of Mark than uh, for Genesis, just reading one chapter a day. And I would suggest, if you haven't done this already, I would suggest that you journal as you read. I've been doing that through the book of Genesis. And to be honest with you, it's been a while since I've really faithfully have journaled and really have enjoyed opening my Bible and opening my journal every day. And as I've gone through the book of Genesis, I haven't, haven't missed a day as far as journaling. And it's been beneficial and would recommend it highly to you. Say, so, well, what do I journal? Just write down things that the Lord shows you. Don't worry about whether it's right or wrong. Just open the Word, open your book, and as the Lord shows you things, things that, that maybe you need to remember later on, or maybe you need it right now. But just write down things, try to summarize what you've learned, and you'll be surprised how the Lord will use that in your life. <clears throat> well, last week, as we were talking through Genesis, we began looking at patriarchal history, which of course covers what chapters? Review with me. What chapters are covered in patriarchal history? 12 through 50. Uh, Genesis 12 through 50 explains the story of one family. We call them the patriarchs, uh, which of course that word patriarch means father or fathers, uh, the father of our Jewish nation and the father of our Christian nation. And these would be the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Last week, we really started diving into the story of, of uh, Abraham. And we got to chapter 17, chapter 18, we, we kind of uh, made it that far, and then we had to stop. So open your Bibles tonight to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. Uh, just to review, when you get to chapter 16, by the way, it's the story of Hagar and Ishmael, and where... Sarah says to Abraham, perhaps I can build a family through her, through Hagar. And so take her to be your wife. Maybe we can build a family through her. And how long had they been waiting on God to fulfill his promise that he would have a son? I think I heard 10 years. At least 10 years had passed and they'd been waiting for this fulfillment of a son. So we come to chapter 18 and God gives Abraham this covenant of circumcision to, to say, I am going to fulfill my promise. I am going to give you a son. I want you to walk in fellowship with me. <clears throat> so we pick up chapter 17, verse 15. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai, you are to call her Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her, not by Hagar, but by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. He keeps emphasizing her. He keeps emphasizing Sarah. Verse 17, Abraham said, Amen. Is that what your Bible says? No, your Bible says, if it's like mine, Abraham fell face down 
And he laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? You know what Abraham was saying? God, you've waited too long. I mean, I started out believing you. I started out believing you're going to give me this son of promise. And, and I was an old man, and, but I was still believing. I, I still had faith. And, and then when God says, listen, you're about to be a daddy, he starts laughing. I, I, you know, I just think it's probably not a good idea to laugh in God's face. But that's really what he was doing. He said, can a man that's 100 years old have a son? And, and a woman that's 90, can she bear a child? Verse 18, and Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. In other words, I've got a suggestion. Could you let Ishmael be the son that you bless? Because that's the only son I've got. And I'm not expecting another one. Verse 19, God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son. And you will call him Isaac. Now, if you've got any kind of a study Bible, do you know what the name Isaac means? He laughs. God said, okay, we're just going to remember this little occasion here. Let's just call him Isaac, and it will be a reminder that you laughed. And he says, I will establish my covenant with him, not Ishmael, but with Isaac, as an everlasting covenant, and for his descendants after him. Now, that's kind of a little bit of a, of a review. We made it really to chapter 18, where God promises that Sarah will get pregnant And so this is a very special time here. In chapter 18, verse 1, the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Now notice it says in verse 1 that the Lord appeared to Abraham. It talks about three visitors in this text. Most scholars believe that two of those visitors were angels and that the third one was the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Uh, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament is called a Christophany. And, and it's simply that Jesus sometimes appeared to people in the Old Testament. And that seems to be uh, what's happening here, that Jesus himself appears to Abraham. And then let's see what happens. Verse 2, Abraham looked up, and he saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet and bowed low to the ground. He said, If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may wash your feet and rest under the tree. Let me get something to eat so you can be refreshed, and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seahs of fine flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd, and he selected a choice tender calf, and he gave it to the servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. And while they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where's your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, not an angel, the Lord Jesus probably. Verse 10. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent. Doesn't that sound like a wife? (laughs) Don't get me in trouble. I was just... Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of 
childbearing. So Sarah did what? She laughed, just like Abraham did. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my master is old, will, will I now have this pleasure, that is this pleasure of having a son, of bearing a child? Verse 13, then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, well, I really have a child that, now that I am old? Now, verse 14 is underlined in my Bible. Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's a powerful question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And then he says, I will return to you at the appointed time next year. Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. Interesting encounter. So fast forward now. We're going to pick up. That's kind of where we left off last time. And now let's pick up with the birth of Isaac. Just a powerful, powerful chapter 21. Powerful chapter. <clears throat> which leads to another powerful chapter. Uh, chapter 21 of Genesis, verse 1. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Would you notice in verse 1 and in verse 2 that this is the result of a promise? It's not the result of, of Abraham suddenly being able to do something he, an old man shouldn't be able to do. No, this is the result of a promise. We're told that in verse 1. We're told that again in verse 2. Verse 3, Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. And when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was, was born to him. Just, just stop there for a moment. Let that sink in. You know any 100-year-olds having a baby? Huh? Anybody else know of a hundred-year-old having a baby? Verse 6, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. Remember what Isaac means? He laughs. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh not at me, but will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Now, we could stop there, and if, if we had the time, we could deal with this and, and study it. But, but this is a survey of the book, so we're not going to be able to answer every question or deal with every issue or dig in the way we'd like to, perhaps. Uh, but before we get into chapter 22, I want you to notice how this chapter ends, chapter 21. I want you to notice how it ends. In verse 34, there's this statement that, that's an important statement that maybe you would read past it if you're really not focusing. It says, and Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines, how long? Long time. Now, we don't know how long that is. We just note that Abraham stayed in the land with Sarah and with their baby Isaac a long time. Now, we come to chapter 22, which is one of my favorite chapters. Genesis 12, just for what it's worth, Genesis 12 and Genesis 22 are my favorite chapters uh, in, 
in the book of Genesis. So it's going to be hard for me not to stay here for a while, but, but I'm going to try to do my best just to move through it. So we pick up Genesis chapter 22. Let, let's just begin reading verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Now, let me just stop there for a couple of minutes. A few things that we need to deal with. Sometime later, we don't know, again, if you put verse 34 with verse 1, we don't know how much time has passed here. But a good amount of time has passed. And God is going to test Abraham. It's believed that that phrase, sometime later, and verse 34, would indicate not months, but years. You see, sometimes when we're reading chapter 21 and we go straight into chapter 22, we can get the idea that when God, they had this baby, this son, and then God said, okay, I want you to go sacrifice him, that, that they took a baby up to the mountain to sacrifice. But that's not true. Now, that would, I mean, that would still be hard. That would still be difficult. That would still be impossible for us to fathom and to experience and to go through. But it wasn't a baby. Most scholars believe, based on, on some of the, the Hebrew there, most scholars believe that really Isaac was probably somewhere, he was probably at least an adolescent, maybe a teenager, maybe even a young adult. Let's say he was a teenager. Let's just kind of hit it in the middle. Sometime later, it says, verse 34, and, and, or, or was that chapter, no, verse 1 says sometime later. It says Abraham stayed in, in the, with the Philistines, land of the Philistines a long time. Sometime later, God tested him. Sometime later, probably, Isaac was probably a teenager in that neighborhood. Let's say he was 14 or 15 years old. And God says, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your son your only son. Now, wait a minute. Didn't he have another son named Ishmael? He did. So why did God refer to him as your only son? He's the only son of promise. The only son of promise is what that's talking about. So here's what I want you to do, Abraham. I want you to take your son, your only son of promise, the one that you love, Isaac, the one who is a teenager, I want you to take him up there and sacrifice him. And there's two problems with that, of course. Number one, that's your son. I mean, that's the most obvious problem. That's your son. And I know you get mad at your kids and say, I could kill him. But you, you don't really want to do that. You're just mad. You're just aggravated. But God told Abraham, I want you to kill him. I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, the son I have promised you, and I want you to kill him. The second problem, not only is he your son, the second problem is he is the son of promise. 
God, what about that promise you made to me when I was back in Iraq? What about that promise you reaffirmed to me when I was in Haran? God, what about that promise you've made to me again and again and again and again over the years? That you were going to give me a son and through my son you would, you would give me descendants more numerous than the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore. What about that promise? This, this is not just anybody's son. This is my son. And it's not just a son. This is a son of promise. I don't know about you. I would be tempted to say, one, I can't do it. Two, I won't do it. Anybody else honest enough to say that? And this is where it blows my mind. Verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey, and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. Early the next morning. At least I would have said, well, give me some time to pray about it. Give me about ten years to pray about it. Or at least give me ten days to pray about it. Early the next morning. By the way, you see this throughout the life of Abraham. One of the, one of the little stories that you see woven through this story called Genesis, is in, in the life of Abraham at least, is his quick obedience. His quick obedience. Now, I have a theory about early the next morning. I have a theory as to why he, he just jumped up early the next morning to go do this. Anybody, do you have any ideas of why he may have early the next morning? What? Yeah, he probably didn't go to sleep that night. He, I don't think he, he would have slept very well. That's a good one. What's another one? I say what? <laughs> I've never thought about that one. He got up before Sarah did. <laughs> he didn't want Sarah to see him leave it. I've never thought about that one. I heard another one. Obedient to God's promise, yes. Yeah, I think that's a big one. Put it off if he waits. The more you put it off, the more likely you are not to do it. That's true for all of us, by the way, right? When God tells us to do something, the longer you put it off, the harder it is to do it. So, again, we could stay here, but I just want you to, as, as I read the text, I want you to, to look for three things. First, and if you're taking notes, write things down. The renewal of the promise, verses 15 through 18. Look for that as I read. The renewal of the promise of God in verses 15 to 18. Abraham's obedience and implicit trust in God. I want you to look for that. Abraham's obedience and implicit trust in God and God's provision of a sacrifice in place of Abraham. All right, so let, let's just read the story real quick and then we're going to move on. Verse on the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance and he told the servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then he doesn't say I will come back to you. He says we will come back to you. Now is he lying? Or is he stating something out of great faith? 
we'll see in the book of, of Hebrews, he was actually stating something out of great faith. He believed, watch this, he believed that God could raise the dead. We'll see that in Hebrews in a minute. We will go worship, and then we will come back to you. By the way, if you're taking notes, just write down Hebrews 11.19. Hebrews 11.19. You can reference it later. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? That's where I would have lost it. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Double meaning there. God had provided the lamb. Isaac. God would provide the lamb. Called in the bush. And really a triple meaning because God ultimately did provide the lamb in Jesus Christ. Two of them went on together. Verse 9. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. And he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Stop there for a moment. If this was a baby, we could understand how this happened. If this is a teenager, how do you do that? How do you... Do you think Isaac had anything to say about this? Do you think Isaac was wondering, Dad's lost it. I don't really have a good answer for how this came about. The Bible doesn't tell us, but it makes me wonder what kind of conversation they had as Abraham starts tying up his son and probably weeping as he does it. And he lays him on the altar. And Isaac comes to the realization that he's going to kill me. And Abraham wasn't putting on a show because look at the text. He bound his son Isaac, middle of verse 9, he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. about you, but I just love my kids so much that when I read that, it hurts. He took out the knife to slay his son. Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns, and he went over and he took the ram, and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. There is the first substitutionary sacrifice outside of the Garden of Eden. There's the first substitutionary sacrifice, uh, a picture of what Jesus would one day do for us and what God would one day do to his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. 
And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Now, just again, we could stay there for a while, but God reaffirms then uh, the covenant that he... Look again at verse 15. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Uh, your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. By the way, remember, you might want to underline this, where he talks about your, your one, your son, your one and only son. Do you remember John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Pictured in this story. Now, let's go on for the sake of time. Let's talk about chapters twenty and in chapter 25. Chapter 23, we see the death of Sarah. We won't take time to read it, but in chapter 23 is the death of Sarah, and she's buried in Hebron. Chapter 25 is the death of Abraham. Uh, let, let's read about that one. Chapter 25, uh, verse 7. Altogether, Abraham lived 175 years, then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. His sons, Isaac and Ishmael, buried him in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre in the field of Ephron, the son of Zoar the Hittite, the field Abraham had bought from the Hittites. And there Abraham was buried with his wife Sarah. After Abraham's death, God blessed his son, Isaac. Now, this is why the death of Abraham and Sarah is significant. When they died, uh, their death is significant to the, uh, to the promised land motif. You need to, if, you need to write this down if, you, if you're taking notes. Or taking notes. The, the death of Sarah and Abraham are significant to the to the promised land story for this reason. When they died, the only piece of the promised land they possessed was the burial plot they bought. Remember all through, look up here. Do you remember this whole time, ever since, ever since he left his homeland in Mesopotamia, God has promised him a land and seed. Descendants. Now, when we come to the death of Abraham and the death of Sarah, what we find is the only land they own is a burial plot. Abraham. The writer of Hebrews talks about this. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. This is the great hall of faith chapter, talking about some of the heroes of the faith. And of course, Abraham would be one of those 
chapter 11, beginning in verse 8 through verse 19, if you're taking notes. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. He left Mesopotamia, heading toward Canaan. Verse 9. By faith, he made his home in the promised land. It's always the promised land. Like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same what? But did they have a house? Did they have property? No. They're wandering from place to place, living in tents. Verse 10, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He was looking forward beyond this piece of dirt he was walking on. Verse 11, by faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who made the promise. Well, that ought to be highlighted. He considered him faithful to, who made the promise. That's the reason he was chosen. That's the reason he is the great man of faith. He considered God to be faithful. Verse 12, And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore because he considered him faithful who made the promise. I just can't un uh, un or underline that enough. Verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. Sarah, chapter 23. Abraham, chapter 25. Still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. They admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. And if they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country. What kind? A heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when, he tested, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham, here's the verse, reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. So, the writer of Hebrews says, let me summarize the story of Abraham for you. Let me summarize this first great patriarch. And one of the things that, that he mentions in this summary is simply this. He never got the land God promised him. He was able to see it from a distance, but he never really possessed it. The only piece of land he possessed was the burial plot. Where he and his wife were buried. And yet it says they continued to walk by faith. Amazing, amazing faith of Abraham. But we need to go on and talk about these other two patriarchs. Genesis 25 through 35 is the story of Isaac. Isaac, the, the Isaac narrative is, is an interesting one because primarily, watch this, primarily the, the Isaac narrative primarily is not about Isaac. 
the Isaac narrative is primarily about Jacob. I want you to see that as, as we go through this real quickly. Look in chapter 25. Oh, go back to Genesis. Uh, we're in Genesis 25. Beginning in verse 19. This is the account of Abraham's son Isaac. Now remember, we've seen this throughout the book of Genesis, that this phrase, this is the account of, is the, the writer's way of saying, this is the story of, this is a new section of material. This is now the story of somebody else. This is now the story of Isaac. It says in verse 19. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padan Aram, and the sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. That's one of the things that we've seen, again, throughout the story of Genesis. And the Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said, Two nations are in your womb. That's underlined in my Bible. Two different nations are in your womb. God could see beyond the obvious babies in the womb. He could see where this was leading. And two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. And when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. And it's believed that the name Esau means hairy. After this, his brother came out, and with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Jacob means, literally, he grabs the heel. That's what the name means. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. So, in chapter 26, we see this promise that's repeated. The prom Watch this. The promise made to Abraham is repeated to Isaac. Now, just stay with me for a moment. Uh, chapter 26, verse 2. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt and live in, live in the land where... But live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father, Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all of these lands. And through your offspring, all the nations on earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and kept my requirements, my commands, and my decrees and my laws. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. So this promise made to Abraham now is passed down to Isaac. Everybody look up here. Look up here. But the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Because right after this promise is made to Isaac, the story gets twisted again. Now let me show you. Look in verse, in verse 7. See if this sounds familiar at all. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister. Because he was afraid to say, She is my wife. He thought, The men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah because she is beautiful. 
When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and he saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, She is really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Isaac answered him, Because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, What is this you've done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife and would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, Anyone who molests this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Wow. Like father, like son. And once again, we see that these men of promise are fallen creatures. And so are, so are we. Again, I wish we had a little time to hang there and just talk about that a little bit. But um, before, th- this, this is the thing I, I would have you understand. Before this promised seed is um, messed up, if you will, God intervenes, and uh, there's apparently no relationship there. God intervenes before the promise to protect the promised seed. I think, by the way, somebody asked me about this last week. I think, by the way, the same thing happened in Egypt with Abraham and Sarah because God struck them with the disease, and I think God was actually uh, protecting the promised seed before a relationship would, would have been formed there. Now, I told you that though this is really the story of Isaac, It really focuses on Jacob. Let me show you what I'm talking about. After this kind of introduction, look in chapter 27. What's the heading in chapter 27? Jacob gets Isaac's blessing. Look in chapter 29. Jacob arrives in Padan Aram. Chapter 30. Chapter 29, Jacob's children. And chapter 30, in the middle of the chapter, Jacob's flocks increase. Chapter 31, Jacob flees from Laban. Uh, In the middle of the chapter 31, Laban pursues Jacob. 32, Jacob prepares to meet Esau. 33, Jacob meets Esau. 35, Jacob returns to Bethel. And what we see in the story of Isaac is how prominent his son Jacob is. In this family story. So before we ever get over here to talk about the patriarch, Jacob, we're talking about the son, Jacob. Jacob, the son of Isaac. And Jacob is the prominent person in the story, the family story uh, of Isaac. Now, what's interesting is to follow the spiritual development of Jacob. Question. When... You don't answer this out loud, but try to come up with an answer. When did Jacob become a follower of God? When, when did Jacob become a follower of God? See, when we read about these patriarchs, often I think we're tempted to, to think, well, they just always believed in God. They just always knew God. They just always trusted God. But one of the stories that we see in, in the, the storyline of Jacob is his journey to faith. His journey to trust in God. Um, 
It started, I can show you where it started at, at least. It started with a dream he had at Bethel. And in this dream, God makes the same promise that he made to Abraham and to Isaac. Look, go to chapter 28. Go back to chapter 28, verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. And when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. By the way, this is probably that Mesopotamian ziggurat that we talked about. I think it was on the first uh, the first week, I believe it was, we were talking about the Tower of Babel, and I said that was probably a Mesopotamian ziggurat, a big square base, and then these stairs that ascend towards heaven and a, a platform on the top where, there, where worship was conducted. That's the kind of vision Jacob has, the kind of dream that he has. He had a dream, verse 12, in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. That is, at the very top, where there normally would be a, a sacrifice, where worship would be conducted, there at the top was the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham. The, I'm, I'm sorry. I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. And then he, he reaffirms this promise that he made to those two individuals. He says, I'll give you, Jacob, and your descendants the land on which you are, you are lying. And your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. And you'll spread out the west and the east and the north and the south. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you. And wherever you go, I will bring you back to this land. And I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now, what's interesting, God makes this promise to Abraham, he then makes it to Isaac, and then he makes the same promise to Jacob. You would think that Jacob would be, man, I am sold out to God. But not so. Look in chapter 28, verse 21. Jacob, verse 20 and 21. Jacob makes a vow, he, and it's a conditional vow. He conditionally declares he will follow the Lord as God. Jacob made a vow saying, if, I've got that underlined in my Bible, this is a conditional vow. If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then, underline the word then, if, then, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house, and, and, and all that you give me, I will give a tent. So he conditionally declares, God, if, if you meet all of my needs and keep me safe, then when I come back here, I will declare you as my God. Interesting to me, and he called the place Bethel, by the way, which means the house of God. And, and so that's why when we come to chapter 32, Jacob, after making this conditional promise, when we come to chapter 32, uh, we don't have time to read it, but beginning in verse 22, it says, Jacob wrestled with God. He's still wrestling with this relationship with God. He's still wrestling with this idea of following the God of his fathers. He's still wrestling with this idea that, that God 
is truly the one God to serve. Now, when we go to chapter 35, many years have passed. And when we go to chapter 35, Jacob returns to Bethel. He returns to that place he had had that encounter with God when he said, If then, God, if you do this, then I will come back and will declare you to be my God. He goes back to Bethel. He goes back to that place. And this is what we find out. Verse 1, Then God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Get rid, of your, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you. Does that sound strange to anybody? I, I thought you're supposed to be this guy through whom God was going to bless the nations. What foreign god? You, don't, you shouldn't have foreign gods. He's still struggling, isn't he? All of these years, he's still trying to figure out this relationship of God, with God and, and following God. And so Jacob, when he comes back to Bethel, Jacob says to his household and to all who are with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. He's saying this years later now. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and rings in their ears and Jacob buried them under the oak of Shechem and then they set out and the terror of God fell upon the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. And Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan and there he built an altar and he called the place El Bethel or house of God because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother uh, verse 9, after Jacob returned from Padan Aram, uh, he appeared to him again, God appeared to him again and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. And by the way, the name Israel means he struggles with God. That, that was his life story. Summarized in his name. He struggles with God. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you and kings will come from your body. The land I gave to Abraham and to Isaac, I also give to you and I will give this land and your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at the place he had talked to him. Real quickly, when you come to the end of chapter 35 after God pronounces that his name is Israel, when you come to the end of chapter 35, beginning in verse, uh, verse 22, Jacob, the Bible says, had 12 sons. And we begin to see the expansion of the nation of Israel. Jacob's 12 sons and their offspring will form the 12 tribes of Israel. Look up here. Jacob had 12 sons, and these 12 sons their, and their offspring formed the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And in chapter 35, verse 27 and 20 through 29, Jacob died. And then we come to the account of Jacob 
Now look up here on the board, I'll show you something. This will help you understand Genesis. We'll, we'll finish on time. We come now to the storyline, the family story, if you will, of Jacob. And just like the family story of Isaac was primarily about Jacob, the family story of Jacob was primarily about Joseph. So Joseph, strictly speaking, is not one of the patriarchs, yet he has the longest story in all of the book of Genesis. The, the, the most material is given over to tell the story of Joseph, but it's under the, the context of the family story of Jacob. Look in chapter 37. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. And this is the account of Jacob. Again, introducing. Here is the family story of Jacob. And then what's the very next word after that? Joseph. And Joseph takes over and... We're about to run out of time, so let me uh, just try to summarize real quickly. Joseph, this is the tenth and final main section in the book of Genesis. Uh, and you, you know a lot about the story of Joseph, but let me just summarize it in three statements, if you're taking notes. Three statements about the, to summarize the life, the story of Joseph. Number one, Joseph finds himself in severe trials through no fault of his own. Again and again and again, Joseph finds himself in severe trials through no fault of his own. That's the first theme that's woven through the story of Joseph. Number two, God prospered Joseph wherever he was. God prospered Joseph wherever he was. The Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. You see that again and again in the book of Genesis. And then finally, God uses Joseph, watch this, he uses Joseph to bless the nations. Because the nations of the world are in famine. And God uses Joseph to bless the nations. I want you to notice how the family story ends. The family story of Jacob does not end simply with the death of Jacob. The family story of Jacob ends with the death of Joseph. Jacob's death is recorded in chapter 49, but I want you to notice how the book of Genesis ends. Chapter 50, chapter 50, verse 22. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all of his father's family. He lived 110 years. He saw the third generation of Ephraim's children and the children, and he goes on to talk about his children and his brothers. And um, so it says in verse 26, so Joseph died at the age of 110 and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. The last word in the book of Genesis prepares us for the first chapter in the book of Exodus. I was going to, we're out of time, I was going to talk about the Pentateuch, but let me just tell you this. The Pentateuch are the, the first five books of the Old Testament. Written, all of the books written by Moses. Tell me what the first five books of the Old Testament are. The Pentateuch, the, liter the word literally means five scrolls. What you may or may not know is that all of those stories are connected. They're not five separate books. 
they really tell one story because when you look at the end of, of, of one book and the beginning of the next, the story just continues. Genesis is an example. Joseph is in Egypt. The Bible says the last word is Egypt. Chapter 1 of, of, of Exodus. The first thing that it talks about in chapter 1 of Exodus is Joseph is in Egypt. And he's dead. And God's going to raise up some, uh, uh, another deliverer. And so when you get to the end of Exodus, guess what? It sets the stage for the very next book. On and on it goes. Uh, the storyline is, is, is pretty amazing. Uh, let me give you four, four affirmations from Genesis. And with this we'll close. I got one minute. Four affirmations in Genesis. Number one, we see the affirmation of divine guidance throughout the book of Genesis. Divine guidance. It starts with Abraham. Go to the land that I will show you. Go to the land I will... And throughout the book, we see divine guidance. Number two, divine providence. God works out His will, and He can use evil and bad things, as well as good things, to accomplish His purpose. Joseph said in chapter 50, You meant it for evil, what you did to me. You meant it for evil, but God used it for the good, for the saving of many... Saving of many nations. Divine providence. Number three, divine choice. God uses unlikely people. The ones that are chosen are flawed. And it's interesting, when you read the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all three of those are painted with their flaws. None of those, if you read the book of Genesis, none of those three patriarchs were painted as perfect people. Their flaws were revealed. And God, you see, the thing that made them uh, that, that makes them godly seed is not the good life that they lived. The thing that made them godly seed was not their good character. The thing that made them godly seed was that in the end, they believed God and trusted God's promises. That's what made them godly seed. Genesis fifteen six. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Number four, divine faithfulness to God's promise. Divine faithfulness to the promise over and over and over and over again. God's promises are fulfilled. God is faithful. And He ultimately, sovereignly, brings about His story. Now, um, I'll close with this. We don't have time to look at it, but you might want to read chapter 49, verses 8 through 12. Chapter 49, verses 8 through 12. Because when, when you're reading the story of Jacob's sons, one of his sons was a guy named Judah. Judah, again, was a man with flaws. His flaws are, are written about. They're, they're evident in the story. And uh, what you find out is that God blesses Judah. Ultimately, Judah changes. His heart changes. His life changes. God blesses him. And God says that through him, the scepter will not depart through Judah. Or not depart from Judah. It was a messianic promise of the David uh, dynasty. The, the Davidic dynasty. But also uh, a messianic promise of Jesus Christ coming from the line of Judah. So... That sets the stage for next week. Because, just, just like Judah was the one through whom God would bring about the Savior of the world, Mark opens up his gospel talking about that Savior, Jesus. 
So that's where we're heading next week, and we'll introduce and begin studying the book of Mark, Lord willing, next Sunday. Father, thank you for this story, this amazing story, and we've only scratched the surface, the story of, of how you started with creation, and then when it was ruined through sin, you started a plan of redemption that ultimately was fulfilled in the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob specifically in Jesus Christ. We are so grateful, God, for your love and your mercy and especially for your grace. We thank you in Jesus' name.